as we're here in Romans chapter 6. This outline is not unique to myself. There are, <clears throat> we are taught by very, very many different people. No man is really an originalist when it comes to preaching and expositing the Bible. You exposit the way it's given. And if you understand it the way it's given, then I can assure you there's been another preacher who's also has understood it as it's been given, and they have given it. But I received this topical outline from another pastor, and when I heard it, it was really life-changing for me. And then I gave it uh, many times when I taught undergraduate in Bible and I gave it to my previous congregation at Lighthouse, and uh, many of them were also uh, just changed in their understanding of their sinful nature and the warfare that's going on. And then I gave it here. I picked out this specifically when I came to candidate at Faith Memorial Baptist Church, and I gave it in a Sunday school class. And I gave it for the purpose twofold. First of all, I felt like the information would be helpful. And secondly, as really an example, the way that I would teach a Sunday school type presentation. So I tried to do several varieties of messages so that I just didn't give them, as it were, my best one. I don't know how you define that, but <clears throat> my best one, but several different varieties. Then in uh, November of 2009, some eight and a half years later, I gave it again. I, in the back of my mind, I think I've given it again here since then, uh, but it's been at least, if I didn't give it a third time, it's been 13 years since we've looked at this. And so uh, some of the things that I'm going to say, I'll point out in the text, some of the things that I'm going to say, uh, you'll just have to take for granted. If you want to know where it's at, I have it down here in my notes. I'd be more than happy to give you uh, that. So Romans chapter 6, and I want to read two verses, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So what we have here in Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> we have Paul answering two questions about the reign of grace in the life of a believer. You'll notice at the end of chapter 5, he says, <clears throat> the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that... As sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then this first question comes directly to the mind of the Apostle in chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Okay, should we say this about grace reigning through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Should we say... 
are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And I like the way the King James translation words it. It just says, God forbid. God forbid that you would think this question as a result of God's grace reigning in the life of a believer. He goes on again, all the way down, chapter 6, verse 1, down through 14, to answer that question and why we should not think that way. Then in verse 15 of Romans 6, he says, Well, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And the answer is the same. God what? God forbid or may it never be. So in chapter 6 and verse 1, it's shall I continue to live a habitual life of sin? God forbid that you would think that way. Verse 15, shall I commit acts of sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And the answer to that is the exact same thing. Both of those responses are not the right response to grace, reigning in the heart and life of a believer. So we're looking here at this aspect called sin. And you'll notice in verse 12, under the answering of that first question, Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its lust." And what Paul is giving to us here is this. We have in our flesh, that is, dwelling in this body of flesh, we have a nature as believers that prior to our salvation totally lorded over our life. What it said, we did. How it argued, we did. The emotions, the affections that came out of that sinful nature, we obeyed. Not all to the full expression, but we were under the lordship of that sinful nature. When a person gets saved, that lordship of that sinful nature is broken in the life of a believer. That sinful nature does no longer reign. What reigns? Grace reigns in the heart of that believer. But that doesn't mean that that sinful nature, as it were, takes this lying down. That sinful nature always and perpetually wants to lord over our lives even as believing people. And it will do everything it can to bring us under that domination. Look over in chapter 7 and look at verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. Now who's doing the writing? Who's doing the speaking? Well, Paul is. You mean the Apostle Paul had evil present in him? Answer to that is, yes yes, he did. Verse 21, I find then the principle or the law that evil is present in me, the same one who wants to do what? Mm 
who wants to do good. So what do we know from that? We know that there is a warfare in the soul of every believer. That's why Paul called it to agonize the good agony of faith. There's a warfare that goes on. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 words it this way. The flesh lust against the spirit, and the spirit lust against the flesh. Does that sound like warfare to you? That's warfare. However, the text in Galatians also says that the spirit lusts against the flesh so that you cannot do what you would. So who wins eventually? The Spirit of God wins eventually. But that doesn't mean that your sinful nature is not exacting a warfare in us and not desiring to lord over your life. In fact, Paul would write, look at verse 23 of Romans 7, he says, But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging... What? War. Waging war. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. And Paul just cries out in verse 24, this is a wretched state to be in. (laughs) And every believer, especially as you grow in grace, knows that that is a wretched position. Who's going to deliver me from this warfare and from this sinful nature that is raging against God? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. He's the one that's going to deliver me from this. So John Owen, who was a theologian of days past, he wrote concerning Romans chapter 7, verse 21, He wrote four things coming out of this verse. Four major ideas. Number one, he says, this sinful nature is a law. Note verse 21, I find then the principle or the law. Here's a law. I want to do good, but what is present with me? Sin is present with me. Everybody see that? That's a law. Every saint has that going on in their soul. What happens with that law? Well, it works like this. When you will to do good, when you decide, I'm going to do good, evil is present at the very same time. Look at it again. I find in the law that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I want to do good, but what's there? Evil is present with me. When I will to do good, King James says, when I will to do good, evil is present with me. And as you mature, you actually discover this. Did you note in verse 21, Paul says, I find then. Paul found this out. I find then 
this law discovered within me. And I also find that this law kicks in when I will to do good. Now a lot of believers don't believe that. They think that when they will to do good, that if God is really there, that they're not going to struggle with doing good at all. That this is just going to become peaceful life. But this is a war. Remember what he said in verse 23? I find a different law in the members of my body waging what? Waging war. And your sinful nature is tireless about this. You and I can get tired of waging the war, but the sinful nature doesn't ever go to sleep, as it were. It's always ever-present there. And folks, that sinful nature rages against God. It rages against God. You can't, you can't control the sinful nature. You can't improve your sinful nature. It'll never improve. It is out against you. You can't tax your sinful nature. <laughs> it's there. And I don't care how mature, immature, I don't care how old you are in the Lord, it is there. And I have found as an older believer that the older I get in Christ, the more it seems to rage. Not less, more. And when I was younger, I thought, hey, you know, I'm having a lot of problems with my sinful nature right now. I can't wait to get older so that it'll go away. It will go away when? When my body, what? Dies. But until then, it's waging war all the time. Peter would word it this way. These affections of our body that war against my soul. War against my soul. So here we have this sinful nature. That sinful nature occupies your mind. And you'll notice in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, speaking of a lost man, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Now that's talking about a lost person whose mind is completely set on the things of the flesh. They cannot please God. Their sinful nature is incapable of doing that. But when we get saved, now our mind is on the Spirit. But that sinful nature is still there. And He gives us all kinds of trouble. So I want to look tonight, having set that up kind of as a forethought, I want to look at the personification of our sinful nature. And I have five points, and the fifth point has three subpoints. Okay? Let's turn back to Romans 6, number 1. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. 
Our sin nature sees itself as a king. And you'll notice in verse 12, therefore do not let sin, what's the verb? Reign. What kind of person reigns? A king or a lord, right? Our sinful nature is seen as a king. And it does not like the fact that it has lost the lordship over your life. Number two, this sinful nature demands, look at verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey. Everybody see that? Your sinful nature demands obedience. It does not take anything less than full obedience to it. So does it desire to lord over us? Yes, it does. Does it demand obedience? It does demand obedience. Remember in Romans 7, it wants to bring us into captivity to itself. And the picture there is a picture of a man who has a spear and he's captured you and he's pointing you right to where he wants you to go. He's taken you prisoner. This is what our sinful nature wants to do. Thirdly, our sinful nature needs instruments to carry out its will. Look at verse 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, not over your soul, but where? Your mortal body, so that you obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments. Everybody see that word? As instruments of unrighteousness. The sinful nature needs instruments, and the instruments that it uses are the members of your body. Now folks, this word instruments, and it's translated that way even in our King James translation, is a word that refers to weaponry. You could actually translate it this way. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as weapons. Weapons of who? Unrighteousness. Everybody see that in verse 13. But present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as weapons of what? Righteousness. Everybody see that? So what our sinful nature needs and what our sinful nature desires is to carry out its will in hostility against God. And it's going to use the members of whose body? Your body, my body, to do that. Our bodies have these kinds of members. It has hands, doesn't it? It has feet. It has eyes. 
It has a most wicked member. Our tongue. Everybody with me? Your sinful nature is wanting to use those members of your body given to you by God as weapons to carry out unrighteousness. Whereas God wants you to use the members of your body as weapons to carry out not unrighteousness, but righteousness under this sun. And remember, as we're looking at this, how many of us are having this struggle? Every believer is having this struggle. You say, well, you know, I don't have this struggle a lot. Well, it could be you're just not recognizing it. Because as you grow in grace and as you grow in scriptural knowledge, you begin to realize more and more. I mean, you may have thought, well, there's probably about five or six areas of my life that aren't conformed to Christ. By the time you learn what the scripture says, you find out I'm not totally conformed to Christ. Every part of me. And so that sinful nature is a king, and that king wants to reign, wants to lord over you. That sinful nature demands obedience. It doesn't say half and half. It wants complete obedience in whatever area of life that you are struggling in. And it needs instruments, and the instruments are the members of our body as believing people. Fourthly, our sinful nature will reward you. Look at Romans 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is what? Death. Now let me just pause here. The wages of sin being death is the long-term reward. Now here's what trips us up. The short-term reward of obeying our sinful nature is pleasure. Pleasure. In other words, folks, when we obey our sinful nature and we really give in to that, for the moment, it rewards us with pleasures. But in the long term, it rewards us with what? With death. And of course, that's referring completely to a lost person who's totally dominated by that sinful nature. That is the wages of it. And that's what makes it so deceptive. You know, folks, it'd be a great thing if every time we yielded to our sinful nature in an area of our life, say we're talking to someone, someone says something to us we don't like, and we just snap back at them. It would be great if at that moment we felt completely terrible. But we don't usually right at that moment. Right at that moment, we feel like, well, you said that, I said this, ha! It brings us pleasure. Now, in a believer, it may take 
an hour, it may take right after, it may take days. <laughs> okay. But eventually you think back in that conversation, you say, should not have yielded my tongue that way. Right? Okay. But at the moment when you do it, there is a reward from your sinful nature, a pleasure. You've heard the world say this, well, if you're mad at something, just let it out. You'll feel better. Well, folks, from a world perspective, they're not wrong. But in a long-term perspective, it brings guilt. And if they're a lost person, it brings what? Death. And in a believer, it can bring chastening from the Lord. But right at that moment where you just explode and let it all out, <sighs> finally got that out. That's your sinful nature. Rewarding you in the short term with pleasure, but in the long term, <clears throat> the wages of sin is death. And that brings us to our fifth <clears throat> point. And remember, our fifth point has three subpoints. And I've been saying this, but I'm going to give you the point first. Our sinful nature is a nature. It is a nature. The world doesn't have a category for this. If you go to a psychologist, worldly psychologist, someone who's lost, has no understanding of the Bible at all, and you start talking to them, they're not going to say to you, well, you know what? <clears throat> I know you profess to be a Christian. There's two natures going on inside of you. Or let's say you go to a worldly psychiatrist and they're looking at you and they know that you're lost. They're not going to say, oh, the problem is that you have a sinful nature. No, they're going to say the problem's your environment, the problem's your parents, the problem's the way you got brought up, the problem's the rules your parents had. I mean, they can just go on and on and on, but all they're looking at is external things. Because they don't believe in a sinful nature. And folks, a nature is something that characterizes us. For instance, <clears throat> what type of nature does a dog have? It has a dog nature, right? In other words, would you ever expect your dog to get up and meow? Like, why doesn't your dog do that? I mean, you could go over to one of our families. They've got a dog. They have cats all back there. Why, how come the dog never says, I really like the way the cats sound? And they, they go all and on and on about these little kittens and they're purring. I'm going to learn how to purr. <laughs> because I want some attention. Dogs don't do that. Dogs do what? They bark. Why do they bark? It's their nature. Folks, why do sea animals always go back to the place where, as it were, they were born to lay eggs or to have children? Uh, children. They can't have children. <laughs> to have sea animals. Why do they do that? It's in their what? Nature. God put that in their nature. 
They didn't all all the whales didn't decide this is a pretty good place for us to get together and have little baby whales. Okay, they didn't do that. It's in their nature. That's what a nature is. And folks, lost people have this sinful nature lording over them, and they're going to respond according to that sinful what? That sinful nature. And so that's why when you go to learn about human psychology and psychiatrically and all that, all that is is a study. It is man studying the sinful nature of other human beings. So when you and I don't respond according to our sinful nature, they say, you have a problem. You're not responding like you ought to be responding. I mean, normal people respond this way. Well, Christian may not respond that way. Everybody with me? They're studying sinful nature and its habits. And folks, that sinful nature came from somewhere. And this may shock you. It's the same nature of the devil. You are of your father, the devil. The lust that he does, you will do. You hear those words from Christ? That's lost people. That they all don't do it to the same fullness and to the same degree or to the same intensity, but they're following that sinful nature. And folks, that's why lost people can't work their way to heaven, among other things. Even if they did perfectly all the actions, their nature's wrong. They need a change of nature inside of them. And they can't do that. Only God can do that. That's called being born again. So our sinful nature has a nature. Now let me give you three things under this and make some just short applications. We don't have time to really go into a full range of applications, which are limitless really. Number one, we're here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Your sinful nature has lust. Look at verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Everybody see that word? Here's another word that you could use, that you could translate this. That you obey its desires. Desires. Folks, your sinful nature has a full range of human emotion to combat you. That's why lost people, when you think about lost people, they make their decisions according to how they feel about it. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. That's the lust. That's the desires. 
lost people come into a Bible-believing, Bible-practicing church, they sit down, they hear the services, they hear the music, hopefully we're being drawn into the presence of God, and they feel uncomfortable. Everybody with me? So what do you do? Do you change it to make it worldly so they don't feel that uncomfortability? No. They feel uncomfortable because their sin nature has no desire to be in the presence of God and doesn't want you to be in the presence of God. Everybody everybody with me? These are feelings, lust, desires, and those feelings, lust, and desires have the full range of human emotion to combat you. Folks, as Christians, we do not live by our feelings. Our feelings are untrustworthy. Is everyone listening to me about this? You get this, you're going to go a long way further in your Christian pilgrimage. I am immediately suspect about my initial feelings about anything. And folks, you've been in a position where you've been talking to someone and somebody made a statement and you construed it wrong and immediately you had a feeling and an attitude about that. You may not have said anything, but later on you thought about it and you said, you know, there could have been other motives behind what they said that were not so injurious as the way I took it. It's okay. But initially you did what? You had strong feelings rise up in yourself about that. Our flesh has feelings... about where you go. Our flesh has feelings about how you dress. Our flesh has feelings about the music you listen to. I remember when I came to the Lord, I had a ton of music I had to get rid of. But the problem is, the music was in me. And I would just be sitting there and all of a sudden this pagan song would pop up in my head. And I learned very quickly that what I needed to do was not not say to myself, stop thinking that, stop thinking. But I had to replace it with something godly. But the problem was, is that all the godly music that I was exposed to, I didn't really feel good about that godly music. Why? It wasn't the music I was used to. Everybody following me. The music, our dress, where we go, what we think, how we make our judgments, our likes, our dislikes. Folks, you and I cannot trust our feelings. Where do we go? Scripture. We must renew our minds about this. So does our sinful nature have desires? Can that sinful nature give those desires to you? Why is that sinful nature doing it? 
because it wants you to yield the members of your body to carry that desire out. Now folks, if that was all that we had to deal with, that would be way enough. But secondly, your sinful nature has an intellect. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, we read this. The mind set on the flesh. Everybody see that word? The mind set on the flesh. Or the mind set on the spirit. Your sinful nature has an intellect. It has thoughts. Your sinful nature can reason with you. And anybody that's been walking with the Lord long, long enough knows it about themselves. But, but folks, think about this. <clears throat> Have you ever witnessed to someone and they just give you 18 reasons why they can't do what you're telling them to do? Where do they get those reasons from? Their sinful nature. And folks, that's our initial response to scriptural commands. Our initial response to scriptural commands is why I don't have to do that. That's your sinful nature. And folks, our sinful nature, I don't have a verse for this, but I'm just speaking anecdotally or from experience. That sinful nature grows in its understanding of you. You ever notice that it knows your weaknesses? You ever notice that it knows when it gets victory and how it got victory and it tries it again? It knows everything you know. And it will use it against you. It will even use the Bible. Does everybody hear this? Folks, did the devil use Scripture against our Lord? Our sinful nature, and this has happened to me, and thankfully it wasn't like you know what we call a disqualifying sin or you know anything like that, but it has used scripture. I have actually used scripture to justify something that I was going to do. I thought it was the will of God. I did the will of God, and ten or fifteen years later, I realized that was the most foolish thing you ever did. Why? Because. The Scripture went from just a verse to a full-orbed understanding about that subject. Right? Folks, is there only one Scripture in our Bible? You've got 66 books talking about Christ. And your sinful nature, if it can grab a verse and convince you that this verse says this, it will drive it all the way to the sinful bank in your life. 
all the way. It has <clears throat> thoughts about who you marry. Does it not? With our young people. Folks, think about our sinful nature. <clears throat> Could a young lady find a young man that they have great desires for? Yes or no? Sure. Could they not then reason to themselves why they can marry them? Where's that reasoning coming from? Your sinful nature. And it is so deceptive, you will think it's from God. I gave the illustration before. A man, he's with the Lord now, but a man who stood with me as we wrote our Constitution on divorce and remarriage. He was, he was more firm on it than I was. Until his wife died. And he had desires to marry a divorced woman. So you know what he did? He went and got four views on divorce and remarriage. And this is the conclusion he came to. Well, there's a lot of different viewpoints on this. So I get to do what I want to do. Now folks, where did, where did that type of reasoning come from? Did it come from the Scripture? It came from a sinful nature of a person who already wanted to do something. And folks, we can go to the Bible already in our heart having decided what we want to do. And the sinful nature will provide you the verses to bolster that. That's pretty deceptive, isn't it? Our sinful nature can give you reasonings why you go to one church over another church. It can give you reasons on why you can miss church and why you can't miss church. Our sinful nature knows everything you know and it knows your weaknesses and it knows the patterns that it has had success for in our lives. This really is a wretched position, isn't it? To have that kind of enemy, an internal enemy, in a believer's life. Thirdly, not only does our sinful nature have desires with the full range of human emotion, not only does it have intellect or thoughts about everything when you will to do good, it has thoughts about that. Thirdly, it has a will. Turn over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. This is one of the reasons why I decided to <coughs> repeat this. 
so that I didn't have to take the time as we're going through the book of Ephesians to rehearse this. But notice in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. Everybody see that word. This is past. This is the way you used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in what kind of people? Sons of disobedience. That's lost people. Verse 3. Among them, that is sons of disobedience, we too all formerly lived in the what of our flesh? See, I told you, lost people live by their feelings, right? Their desires. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The word mind there refers to the will. Folks, what is the will? Is when we come to a position where not we just don't have desires. We have sinful desires. We've argued ourselves that those desires are okay to do because that's what we really want to do. And having those two things, then we decide we will do that. Everybody see what I'm saying? We will do what those desires and what that argumentation in our mind is telling us to do. In other words, folks, your sinful nature will actually give you the energy to carry out unrighteousness. It will energize you to do that. It will give you the will to do that. I find it amazing you take some place like Microsoft or Apple with their operating systems and whenever they're going to update an operating system, at least this is the way it was a few years ago, they would everything would be coming down to this release date. And folks, the programmers at Microsoft would actually bring pillows and blankets. And they would be working on that update 24-7, pausing for naps. Energized. Do you see what I'm saying? Energized to do that. The course of this world. Folks, you just can't say to yourself, well, you know, my will, whatever I will to do, that's a safe thing to do. You can't say to yourself, well, whatever I'm really energized to do, it really pumps me, I'm ready to go. Whatever slang you want to use, I'm pumped up to do that, okay? Whatever slang you want to use with that, that that, that being pumped up or energized, that that has to be God. 
No, it doesn't. The things that you and I get excited about doesn't have to just be from God. It can come from our sinful nature. And folks, your sinful nature, as I mentioned, will reward you. It may reward you with the praise of man. It may reward you with a pay raise. It may reward you by you getting what you want. It may reward you with more feelings. You feel good. This was exciting. This was fun. But that does not mean it is the will of God. Just because you're listening to music, you get goosebumps. The goosebumps are not necessarily from God. Say, God gave me those goosebumps. The Holy Spirit went right by me. What verse are you getting all that from? Can you think of a verse filled with the Spirit? Goosebumps. But your flesh will tell you that. And folks, there are, there are tens of thousands of Christian people out there and they live just like that. That if they, if they go to a service and they're motivated, folks, you can be motivated by the flesh, you can be motivated by the Scripture. Two different motivations, agree? And they say, boy, that service was great. The Holy Spirit was there. How are you defining that? I felt energized there. I felt good there. Well, we certainly want you to feel good. <laughs> okay? We certainly want you to be energized. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it is of the Lord. Folks, our sinful nature is not just a tendency in us. It's not just, you know, I kind of lean toward doing evil. It's a nature. It won't get better. It's always evil. And it will take you places where you never thought that you would go. And folks, there have been genuine believers who have been taken capture in certain things, areas of their life, in five years, seven years down the road. They're in places they never, ever would have thought that they would have been. Because they had desires and because that sinful nature argued them into doing it. And they had a will to do it. And in the short term, they got what they want and it fed them pleasure but the end thereof are the wages of what? Death. My sinful nature feels, thinks, and has decisions on every point and aspect of my life when? Any time I will to do good. I'm going to wake up in the morning, hopefully, <laughs> And hopefully the first thing that enters into my mind is to open my Bible. 
Is that good? Okay. Your sinful nature becomes active right at that point. It might send you a feeling of tiredness. It might put in your mind your to-do list for the day. And it might say to you, I'm just speaking from my experience. It might say to you, well, nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to have devotions in the morning. Just get your to-do list done. Then you can spend time with the Lord. Now sometimes that may be the will of God, okay? Rarely. <laughs> so, you zoom around, do your to-do list. You ever notice how your day keeps getting full? Babies don't cry till you start to have devotions. Your child doesn't break an arm until you're by yourself with the Lord. Your cell phone doesn't go ding, 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 ding with text. This is the warfare that we're in. And folks, we can't stop the desires. We can weaken them through the Scripture. We can't stop the thoughts, but we can weaken the thoughts, the power of the thoughts through the Scripture. We can't stop the volitional or the will aspects of that nature, but as a believer, this is what you can do. You can yield to the Word of God. Everybody with me? To the Word of God. And it begins with the renewing of your mind, Romans 12.2. And it begins with taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. 2 Corinthians 10.5. And folks, as you as you take the true knowledge of God into your soul, let me tell you what's going to happen. Your will is going to change. Your desires are going to change. By the Word of God. And folks, when we, this is why everything of our lives we need to be suspect. How do we try to discern the will of God? Number one, Scripture and prayer. Scripture rightly understood in prayer. That's why you need to build a treasury. You're not three years old and have all the books of the Bible under your belt. It takes years, growing, decades. I'm not trying to discourage you. Secondly, counsel. 
children have their who? Their parents. You say, well, my parents aren't very spiritual. They might still have learned some things that might accidentally help you discern the will of God. (laughs) My father was a lost man, but there were certain things I could go to him about. He would be spot on, even though he did not know that he was speaking scripturally. And if you got Christian parents that are growing, you're a blessed child. Number one, Scripture and prayer. Number two, counsel. And folks, part of that counsel is your pastor. I didn't say me. I just said your pastor. I hope that every church has a pastor that in many aspects is the example of maturity in the church. Why? Folks, when you want counsel, you don't go to someone your age. You want to go to someone who's mature, who has your best interest in heart, and who wants to have you walk according to the glory of Christ. They might see something you don't see. And then thirdly, providence. Now, providence is the least reliable of this because we are more we are apt to discern providences badly. You remember Jonah? He was trying to get away from the Lord. Guess what? Happened to be a boat. Happened to have the money for the fare. That has to be the will of God. Right? No, he was heading to a well. Providence is the least of the confirmations. The first confirmation is the Scripture. Second confirmation is mature, sound, biblical counsel. Thirdly is providence. Now folks, I hope you wrote that down and I hope you take these things and really think through them and put them in your heart and mind. To be suspicious of your initial thoughts, feelings, or will about a matter. Right? Be suspicious of that. And put it under the examination of the Scripture. Because that is the only safe harbor to thank God's thoughts after Him. May God give us the grace to do that. Let's pray.